0: Hey everyone, Kayla Louise here, and welcome to my podcast, Wide Open, where we talk about women's health, relationships, trauma, sex, overcoming hardship, building a life that truly feels like your own, and basically anything we damn well feel. We look to open up a dialogue that promotes healing and growth for women, and honestly, anyone who's listening. In our first series, we interview badass and resilient female athletes who tell their stories of creating a fulfilled life out of the chaos. Zero judgment, no shame, just raw life stories about embracing what has truly made these women who they are today. So welcome, Rose, to Wide Open. Uh, we have Rose gracing us from the other side of the country. Um, tell us where you're uh, coming from.
1: All right. I'm coming from Tomogamy, Ontario, which is a small town, just, uh, well, I guess in northern Ontario population, maybe, I'd say under a thousand. Um, I come from originally from the French River area in Ontario, um, small town called Noelville. So I grew up there again, population maybe 500 so small town girl yeah
0: <laughs> yeah that's awesome so um what are you doing for work out there
1: um so I work remotely um I work for a company it's a consult a mining consulting firm uh, Hatch and I do uh I'm a mine infrastructure designer so I do 3d modeling for underground mining infrastructure basically so anything that's required to mine out or body from underground, uh, whether it's the material handling system, the dewatering system, um, concrete, chocrete delivery. So um, any steel, mechanical, structural um, components I model, we deliver those drawings to the contractors so they can build build the facilities. So I'm basically, yeah, I work at a computer and I do 3D modeling.
0: Wow, that's so cool. I was not expecting that. That's really yeah. bad. So what is, <laughs> yeah. what is the software yeah. that you use for the 3D modeling?
1: Yeah, so the software we use is very specific to Hatch. It's called MicroStation. It's a Bentley product, so Bentley makes it it's a very powerful um, software. Uh, When we model our stuff, we can model everything intelligently so that we can do material takeoffs essentially from our models. So we know exactly how much concrete, we can pull information for steel, like how much steel we need, the type of steel we need. Um, So it's, it's intelligent. So we model it and it spits out this whole spreadsheet of what's required to purchase to build this installation and uh yeah it's it's really really um it's really cool we've come so far along um in the industry and uh yeah it's uh very neat stuff. <laughs> very yeah. com- it's very complicated. Like when I first started in, in the industry, I was doing 2D only and like basic AutoCAD. And um, it's, it's evolved so much just in the last, like, let's say 10, 15 years. Now we're modeling everything in 3D and it's intelligent. Uh, it's it's uh, pretty pretty neat stuff.
0: Wow. That's that yeah. cool. Because I mean, I used to be an AutoCAD drafter um, for, there you go. for home building and yeah. like when I was in school we like dove into a bit of 3d modeling like vector works and sketch up and yeah. stuff and yeah it's like pretty crazy the 3d modeling yeah that, and like I I stuck so much to 2d um for such a long time and now like if I was to go back to design I don't even think I'd know where to start because I mean,
1: yeah <laughs> for sure and just like with with the software we use if I were to go work for another company after a year I would lose all of the stuff that's very specific to the bentley bentley products it's it's so niche and specific and what i do is very specific to underground mining applications so i specialize in underground mining like don't ask me about anything on surface like buildings on surface i have no idea what i'm doing but Everything I do is underground, which is really neat. So uh, it's sort of like my, my little specialty.
0: <laughs> I love that. I love, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never talked to someone like you. So that's super interesting. Oh, what made you cool. um, want to get into something like that?
1: That is an interesting question. Um, so originally, like growing up, I was a very artistic person. And out of high school, what I wanted to do, like deep down inside, I wanted to pursue something in the arts. And I had applied for film studies at Ryerson University and got accepted, um, which is in Toronto. But I, did, I didn't want to move, <laughs> move away from my family. Um, so what I ended up doing is I took graphic design uh, at a local college just an hour uh from where my parents live so i wasn't too too far away from my family so i, I did that for a year but then i, I sort of realized <laughs> um it was it would have been very difficult for me to find a, a good paying job in that field in Sudbury. Um you've probably heard of Sudbury yeah, before I have
0: actually my <laughs> friends have Sudbury
1: that's cool there you go so Sudbury is a renowned mining town and my ex at the time um He was working in the mining industry, a mining technologist like me, and he convinced me to make the switch over to mining. So my, my reason behind like going in the mining industry is really based on like, you know, getting a job locally, a good paying and stable job locally. Um, So that was definitely at the forefront when I made the decision. Um, And I was really fascinated, like, when I first got into the field, like I just wanted to go work underground. I wanted to go underground, put my hard hat on my headlamp on and take the cage down, you know, 4,000 feet underground and get my hands dirty. Like that was my thing. I wanted to, you know, work with the boys. And yeah. so
0: oh that, God, that,
1: um, yeah, that, that side of it really appealed to me. And the fact that they were really looking for women at the time, like um, they, they wanted to hire women. And, um, I had a really high chance of getting a really good paying job right out of college locally, um, close to my family. So that was really the the main driver. I, I wanted money so that I could ride my dirt bike.
0: Basically. There you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But, but you obviously found like some passion in that too. Like it probably surprised you yeah. actually are interested in it.
1: It is very interesting. Although now I think uh, going back because I've evolved, evolved so much as a human. (laughs) I think I would do something totally different. However, I do not regret doing any of it because it's brought me to where I am. So Yeah. yeah.
0: And you know mm-hmm. what? Life's not over yet. So no, that's right. <laughs> well, that's yeah. awesome. That's cool. I wasn't really expecting that, that part mm-hmm. of the story from you. So um, that, I mean, we could always do it a whole episode on just life. because and- <laughs> I love that. Um, and I just wanted to say, just because this was like our third take trying to get this going here, but um, yes. how, how I came across you again, it's, seems very social media is the way we, we meet people these days. So um, yeah, I came across you on social media and um, I think we were kind of following each other. And I just found like, yeah, you're such a positive person online and you posted really nice things and your comments were Mm -hmm. so genuine. And then it was when I saw you on the action sports club Facebook page that we're both a part of. And you kind of briefed a little bit of your story and I just thought, yeah, like this is a story like to share. Obviously, I don't like hearing about people going through hard stuff. Like that's not what this podcast is about. But it's, it's the fact that, you know, people take these situations and they learn from them, they grow from them. Absolutely. The fact that you wrapped it all around your dirt bike was like, it spoke to me because that's how I base my life. It's, my bike changed my life. I've talked to so many people where dirt biking has changed their life for the better. Absolutely. um, Yeah. So in that, um, how did you get into dirt biking?
1: Oh, my goodness. So it actually started out. So I was um, I graduated high school and I was sort of not quite sure what to do in terms of like for applying to universities or college. So I actually took a year off uh, between high school and college. And so I was working full time at a grocery store in Noelville and uh, I had accumulated a little bit of money for college. And uh, there was a bunch of guys around the area that were friends with my older sister and they were really cool. And they had these, <laughs> it's silly, they had these race quads. So I don't know if you're familiar with the race quads, you know, yeah. basically straight axle, chain driven. Uh, ba- they're basically the 450 motocross bikes stuffed in a quad frame. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I want to do that. I want to ride again, you know, ride with the boys. I was a bit of a tomboy. Um, You can probably sense that. (laughs) And uh, I I just wanted to, you know, show them boys, you know, uh, I can do this too. So I ended up buying a race quad with my college funds. (laughs) And uh, that's, that's actually how it started. So that would have been back in two thousand. 2006 around that time uh, so then i eventually went to college and um so i i was with um i was with another guy um so now i'm married with, with jeremy um and eventually so i i did that one year of graphic design like i was telling you and then i i ended up switching and going into mining and that's where i met my current husband jeremy because he took the same program as me so um, he, okay. So I met him and I was dating, uh, this other guy. And, um, there was just, uh, there was just something about Jeremy that, uh, blew me away. And I think it was sounds silly, but his amazing dirt bike skill. So he's an <laughs> ex, um, oh, see, I'm, uh, testing out these new earbuds and
0: are they recording. the Apple, um, Apple ones? Or they were- no, the
1: Apple ones were too expensive. So I went with Beats Audio, uh, which oh. is a, an Apple product. Um, and they're supposed to be very compatible. And they have been. It's just it's very difficult to they, they don't seem to be fitting in my ear very well. Yeah. And I've always had an issue with earbuds. Um, and I'm trying to find something that I can walk around the house and still listen to my podcasts. <laughs> So I apologize. No. Uh, going, going back to my story. So uh, Jeremy uh, is an ex freestyle motocross guy. And um, I got into college. He was in the same class as me and um, we started, I was actually the only woman in my class um, that year. And uh, so I was surrounded by boys. So I ended up making friends with a lot of guys, but there was just something so special about Jeremy and I, uh, we started talking and I'm like, hey, I have a race squad. And he's like, oh, I got a dirt bike. And then we sort of just clicked. Um, but we were, you know, both in relationships. So we we actually knew each other for quite some time um, before we actually started dating. So like we went through college together and uh, we, we never dated, and we were very respectful towards each other. We were really in the friend zone, but uh, secretly loved each other. Super cute. <laughs> Makes me chuckle. Um, so, um, he convinced me to switch to two wheels. So, uh, he's like, Rose, dirt bikes are so much better than quad, and I was like, nah, you know, I don't know. I like my quad, and so, eventually, I ended up buying a Uh, Just to ease myself into the sport, I ended up buying like, um, I think it was a 2008 CRF 230L dual sport motorcycle. It was, you know, low seat height, and it was blue plated so I could ride it on the road. I would go to go to school, go to work with it. So that was my first dirt bike. Um, Then I started riding it a lot off road. And I noticed that the suspension wasn't very good. Um, so Jeremy convinced me, he's like, Rose, you need to get on a 125 two-stroke. And I was living near a big sand pit. Um, so the 230 with the really plush suspension and underpowered motor was just not working well in the sand. So he convinced me to get a 125 two-stroke. So I, uh, my first full-size uh, dirt bike was an RM125, a 2001 RM125 two-stroke motocross bike. And from there, Nice. i just rode two wheels i love it yeah
0: <laughs> nice my first bike was a 125 twenty-five two. and i don't know yeah. about you but I, I my first day actually riding it i almost sold it because i was like i hate this thing like it was so on off and hot like and i had never really ridden much so yeah would, and then everyone's like just Absolutely. keep working on it um, just keep working I, on I feel it. like
1: 125 two strokes are a really good stepping stone bike um they, you really have to know how to work the clutch to get them it's like you're saying they're on off bikes right um, so they can be very intimidating at first. Um, but like if you stick it out and and you work on your clutch skills you you use your clutch you know to accelerate around corners and you know preload the, learn how to preload the flywheel and all of those like clutch slip techniques. If you can rock a 125 two-stroke, like, mm-hmm. you can ride anything. They're amazing bikes. And Jeremy was actually freestyling on a RM125, an older one. I think it was a 99 or a 2000 RM125. He was doing, like, you know, off of, like, eight or nine-foot ramps to dirt because back then they didn't have all the foam pit stuff. And the now they have these inflatable airbags yeah. um, so that you can practice – you know, more advanced techniques with lower or less risk. He was doing all of his tricks, like from ramp to dirt um, or even dirt to dirt. He actually started out dirt to dirt, I think. Um, crazy kid. And he was doing like these, you know, amazing cordovas and heel clickers and seat grab Superman, like on one a 125 two stroke, like just yeah. rocking it. So um, I, you know, he, uh, yeah, I definitely, yeah, <laughs> his, when uh, dirt bike skills definitely like woo, i had these little heart-shaped <laughs> eyes when i met him <laughs> and seen that so
0: <laughs> you can't lie yeah. there's something attractive about it <laughs> there is
1: there is i don't know if it's like the 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 adrenaline like the adrenaline or the no yeah. fear part of it the playfulness maybe yeah he is very playful on his bike um his technique and just the way he rides his bike he's just very playful and i think i always admired that yeah
0: oh that's amazing yeah. i love that story yeah uh so yeah I guess so you are married which is beautiful um and you guys obviously ride together so that cancels out those questions um (laughs) and then um so actually I saw on your page I think on your Instagram that you had completed the corduroy enduro yeah and oh yeah this was a race that I've heard about when I was living in Ontario a lot of people were telling me about And so I'm really curious because I actually had someone else ask me about it the other day. And I was like, so I wanted to know uh, your thoughts on the race. How is it for you?
1: Okay, so this... I had never done the corduroy enduro, so my background, so I did, uh, I raced heavily. Uh, I got into racing between 2010 and 2014. I did it like a massive stint of like mostly cross-country racing and I did one year of competitive trials. So I actually ditched my dirt bike and bought myself a trials bike and rode trials for, for a whole year and, uh, was coached by several, uh, several people, um, riding a trials bike is like is like the best thing you can do especially if you want to get into like hard enduro it like totally revolutionized the way i ride my bike so um so i i um i had never done the corduroy enduro because i was more like i was saying cross-country type racer corduroy enduro is what you would call like a classic enduro um so you how do i explain this you have these transit sections that that bring you to different tests um, and sometimes the transit sections are just as gnarly as the tests. It's it's insane. So the cord is two days. It's a two day event, and it's a five to six hour per day, uh, ranging anywhere between I'd say 120 and 150 kilometers per day. So you're so you're riding about 12 hours that weekend, and maybe roughly 300 kilometers in total. And it's just gnarly terrain and. You don't see the same trail twice. So on Saturday you do a completely different route than Sunday, um, and uh, so that's sort of like the the, the big picture um, of the event. And they have different classes, so you have a novice like let's say for women's class, you have a women's novice, intermediate, and pro. The novice riders don't ride the same lines as the intermediate riders and the pro riders, ride. You know, so there's different levels, um, skill levels. And um, so obviously the women pro or the pro riders, uh, they, they ride the, the harder sections and you get longer, more, just more, right? Um, so <laughs> last year, I'm like, frig it, you know, I'm going it all in. I know my skill level. I feel like I, I, I belong somewhere in the pro class. Um, however, my, you know, due to my, my illness that I've, you know, had to go through and, uh, rebuilding myself, like my stamina, um, lacked (laughs) mega lacked, uh, but there was something inside me. I'm like, you know what? Um, I'm going all in. Uh, we, we don't, I used to race like I was saying, but now coming back into the sport, we don't, race we're hobby riders now um and we tend to stay home just because we live so far up north traveling to events is difficult we have a dog as well so it sort of complicates things um so i said you know what if i'm gonna do one event i'm freaking going all in so i'm like i'm signing up for the pro class so oh, i haven't God. raced since 2014 or somewhere around that time um and i'm like i'm riding the pro class <laughs> so um, I got there and like, holy crap, um, I, I was not expecting it to be that difficult. Like the terrain itself, I could, I could manage. Um, there was nothing there in terms of the technicality of it that I couldn't ride through. Because of my trials background, I have pretty decent skills. However, riding six-hour days, two days in a row... And the pressure of racing and having to be on time at different checkpoints, it like, whew, it was really difficult. So I got through day one. Um, and um, one thing that, that, uh, that happened is, so I got through day one. I remember getting through day one and just started, like, I got through day one, got back to the car and I was like crying, just crying. I had this massive release of like, holy fuck, like this was the fucking hardest thing I've ever done and just started crying. It was just like the adrenaline and the emotions. I was just like, I had never done anything like that because what I did previously um, before my illness, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that is I was doing cross country racing. So cross country is totally different. It's easier terrain. Generally speaking, it's easier terrain, it's laps. So you sort of do the same thing over and over and over again there's repetition there so you sort of memorize the course yes it changes every lap a little bit but like you sort of know you get to memorize the course and you can get faster and faster with each lap and it's a two-hour modal sometimes two and a half hours if you're racing um, the afternoon class with the pros so um that was like my racing resume and then you know I get sick it takes you know it takes me five six years to be to sort of reveal myself and then I'm like oh I'm gonna go and do this cord the corridor enduro and sign up for the pro class <laughs> like it was a huge huge um huge undertaking so got through fir- got through the first day barely made it back like just just made it because you're you're t- you're timed and you they give you like a one hour grace period that you can fall behind on so I was like I freaking just 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 made it like it was it was really difficult and I had to muster up a lot of (laughs) mental strength to get through it so I get to the vehicle and I'm just like bawling my eyes out just full of emotions I'm like I can't believe I just fucking did this I just did this (laughs) like wow and uh it's very strange so I guess my body that night I was so exhausted I was staying staying in a cabin with some friends and um Uh, I laid in bed all night awake. So between day one and day two, I didn't sleep one minute, my adrenaline from riding the course that day. It's like, I was so full of adrenaline and probably like cortisol, like stress hormones, just floating around in my body. Mm -hmm. I couldn't sleep. I had massive insomnia. This, which is, is not typical for me. I'm usually, I'm the type of person I I, I pretty much fall asleep, like within five minutes, I get up once or twice to go to the bathroom, you know, but this was like, very unusual um, of me. And uh, so I, I remember waking, waking up. Yeah, <laughs> that morning, people, you know, getting out of bed, and we're sharing a cabin and everybody's like, Yeah, let's go race day two. And I'm just like, like a ghost. Yeah. And I'm like, I didn't sleep not even a minute, you know, I, I literally, my eyes were wide open and my heart was just wow. pounding out of my chest. I couldn't like regulate my, my nervous system was just out of whack. And, um, so we get to, uh, we get to the, um, to the event and I'm, uh, you know, sitting in the car and I'm like, I don't know if I can do day two. Like I didn't, like, I didn't sleep. I don't even know if this is like physic. I find physically capable of going through day two. So I'm sitting in the car and I've got my phone and I'm Googling a whole bunch of stuff, like random stuff. I'm like, marathon runner, insomnia night before, can (laughs) I compete? I'm just looking for like somebody to tell me yes or no, you know, should I proceed with day two? And sure enough, you can go several days without sleep, apparently. Athletes do it all the time. So I'm like, you know what? I I came here to do it. I'm just going to do it. It's going to, it's going to suck. It's gonna be uncomfortable. I'm gonna hate it the whole time, but I'm gonna do it because if I don't go out there and do it, I'm gonna regret it, you yeah. know? So I go in and I, I go through day two and I, I, um, day two was more difficult. There was one transit section and people that ride that, that event, they, if they would hear me talk right now. They would know exactly what I'm talking about. There's this really, really long transfer section It's like longer than any test. And uh, it it was just a mud fest. And they had, so the area a week before they had like a one, I don't know if it was a 50 year, or like a 100 year event brainstorm. And it was an anomaly of a year for the event. It was so muddy. Like it was so like ruts, deep ruts where you're, I, I got stuck almost up to my handlebars. And luckily I had somebody, come help me get out of a mud hole. Like there was just so, so much mud, um, that, that last year. And, uh, I was told by, by a lot of people that it was, it was the most difficult year and it was an, an anomaly. Um, cause they get years where it's actually extremely dry and dust is an issue. Well, dust was not an issue <laughs> last year. It was, um, like we were crossing these, uh, these rivers, um, that were just, overflowing and I remember like you know almost almost drowning out my bike in like these river crossings and you get to the other side and there's like this you know steep embankment that you have to ride your bike over like just gnarly terrain oh um gosh. on a you know on a casual day I could ride through it but like when it's when it's a timed event and there's like riders just you know you're getting passed and you're passing riders there's people stuck in front of you it's just pure chaos and roosting dirt everywhere it's just i i was not the night
0: before (laughs) haven't
1: slept the night before so there's this one transit section which is brutal on day two so um by the time i got through that transit section the very at the very last test of day two i timed out so i did not get my finisher's medal Ooh-hoo, but you know what um
0: what's the moral of
1: this it, it was it was i'm so glad i i'm so glad i i did it like i'm pretty proud of myself
0: <laughs> you should be oh my goodness you should be more uh, than proud of yourself That's-
1: and i think um what i'm even more proud of is my old self so pre illness if i would have went and d- and done something like that and failed as in finishers medal, I would have been so hard on myself and so upset with myself. Well, I should have done this. I didn't do that. I wasn't good enough. You know, all of these self-sabotaging, you know, thoughts mm-hmm. that, um, that, that was, you know, I, I was, I would do that before quite a bit. And I had to work through a lot of that. Um, and now last year I finished the event, didn't get my finishers medal. And I was like, okay, what's next? Like, that was awesome. Let's do this again. Like, like, I wasn't even upset with the fact that I didn't finish it, you know, Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: that, like, for me, I'm like, holy moly, I think, for me, that was even more of, um, like, a milestone, I guess, because my old self would have been, you know, self-sabotaging myself, and, yeah, yeah, so, the
0: the growth in yourself, yeah, oh, that's so incredible, Mm -hmm. um, that was also, like, awesome hearing about the corduroy enduro because I think a lot of okay, people good. are like, interested to know the like <laughs> the behind the scenes so that was awesome yeah <laughs> good stuff yay yeah. good <laughs> all right so yeah let's uh dive in wherever you want to start um I mean yeah where where did you kind of fall ill and how did all, how did all that happen
1: um I'm gonna try and you know, keep it like big picture, um, because there's a lot of details. And I think for me, it was it was really an accumulation of a lot of stressful events and sort of not processing things. Um, So I ended up breaking up with my ex um, to be with Jeremy. And um, I was a bit of a late bloomer, I started dating my ex, I was 19. He was like, literally my first. Um, And uh, he was older. And I sort of Felt pressured a little bit, you know. Um, but he, he was a really, ni- he was really, you know, generous with me, and he was a really nice guy. But like, I wasn't like, you know, att- attracted to him. But he was yeah. nice, and I'm such such a nice person that. Um, and he was, you know, he like I said, he was generous. He he had you know a place to live, and I was in college. He was you know more stable. He had a full time job, a good paying job, and. I'm like, you know what, like, let's try this. Let's give this a try. So I started dating him. Um, but I, I didn't really know what, you know, true, true love was. And, uh, and you know, like no hard feelings. He's, he's a nice guy. Um, but I think I just never had the, you know, the butterflies for him, I guess you could say. Right. Um, so I dated him for seven years and, um, we, we went through, like, not the relationship itself. He was, he was not an emotional kind of guy. We never talked about things. It was like we were in a friend zone for seven years. So, you know, I met Jeremy in college and had these feelings for him and sort of always stuffed them down um, for, for many years. And uh, so we graduated college and me and Jeremy went our separate ways. I was dating, you know, my ex. And all of a sudden, uh, Jer pops back into my life. You know, several years later, and like these feelings came back, and just like, whoa, okay, I, I don't think I'm in love with him. I think I'm in love with this guy. And um, so I ended up, like, literally one morning, I woke up and I'm like, I can't, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, I can't do this. So <laughs> I left. I left. I left him for Jeremy. And. Um, I didn't really know how to handle the situation because he hadn't really done anything to me directly. But I think it's just like, I came to a realization that like, I I, I'm not in love. I'm just not in love. And we were in a friend zone. We were both heavily into dirt bikes and um, which is cool, but we were more like buddies. Um, So I wasn't really in love with him. And um, one morning I woke up and I, I left him and uh, it was so cold Turkey that it's like I didn't like I had a hard time so for about it took about a year so I was dating Jeremy now my husband it took about a year um, for me to process that I felt so horrible that I had maybe misled him all of those years Um, I I, I had a hard time like you know I felt like a horrible person for leaving him so I had like this really lengthy yeah, guilty. I felt guilty. Um, and it took about a year. Like I was literally thinking about that every single day. These thoughts just kept repeating themselves. I'm a horrible person. I, you know, I left him. I'm such a bad person. Um, so, but, but while I was with my ex, um, I had a lot of like little things happen with a job that I had, um, that was very stressful um and losing my ex's brother to suicide um so I went through it's sort of like I went through a whole lot of stuff and you know the guy I was dating at the time like I was telling you he wasn't very like I couldn't open up I couldn't like he wasn't a very emotional person it was like talking to a brick wall basically (laughs) not that he's a bad person Mm -hmm. um but I think all of that pent up um trauma Accumulated over the years. Then one morning, I was I was very confused, and I'm like I I, I, I don't think I love him. So I left him cold turkey without giving an ex giving him an explanation, and then dating Jeremy. So I had a hard time processing. And Jeremy, um, we moved to a different city. Um, so there was moving involved. Um, and uh, some adjustment there, and um. Not very long after I started dating Jeremy, I, I felt ill. And I think it's because of the accumulation of stress and trauma. And, um, so then when I started dating Jer, a couple months in is when I got sick. So I felt ill from the Epstein-Barr virus, which turned into mononucleosis. And I think you, you're probably familiar with it. It's a very common, uh, ailment. Yeah. Um, I, I rem- think
0: I just remember lots of kids having it. When yeah. I was in grade yeah. school mono is always a big thing
1: they refer to it as the kissing disease because it's transferred through saliva um so um I suspect that (laughs) I always blame Jeremy I'm like I totally (laughs) got it from you Uh, but he wasn't sick um he was exposed to it when he was younger because apparently his sister like when they were like you know eight and ten years old Um, his sister had it really bad, apparently. So he most likely had some sort of natural immunity to it. Um, But I think like this virus, it's been around for like, you know, over 100 years, and it's still a mystery, like a lot of doctors and virologists still don't understand um, the level of complexity this, you know, the virus, uh, what what it could do do to the human body, and it sort of reacts differently, um, depending on the person. So um, so because Jeremy was my, you know, I was so in love and the butterflies and I was, you know, just had left my ex. I was very confused, a bit in a detached state, I guess you could call it. We were having sex quite a bit like because <laughs> it was brand new. Yeah. I, I didn't have that with my other relationship because we were sort of in the friend zone and I was, I think, 26 26 at the time when I started dating Jeremy, 26 or 27, it was like my first, first, real first, you know what I mean? So we were having sex quite a bit and (laughs) just like, wow. (laughs) So I think I was just very tired, um, depleted, uh, accumulated, uh, baggage of trauma. So a virus, um, and I think over the past two years, we've, (laughs) we've sort of lived through this with COVID, but it's not necessarily the virus that will, you know, kill you. It, yeah. it really depends on the environment. So that's yeah. why it hurts some people more than others or it affects some people more than others. So I was a very, I was very stressed out. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't sleeping much, um, moved to a new city uh, um, and I was very like, like I'm, I was saying in a detached really, Yeah. I was in a detached state and just stressed. wasn't nourishing myself was wasn't really thinking right and I was just a little bit like let's say uh out of control (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh my goodness so like anyone um, in
0: brand new love is a little bit out of control
1: (laughs) exactly and um like you know this was a really like this was like a new experience for me so um I ended up getting mono um and uh he was fine uh, like i think he probably had it when he was younger um and had natural immunity and i think viruses once you get it they sort of kind of always live in you um yeah. and he he must have must have given it to me so um i blame him
0: <laughs> just kidding
1: <laughs> uh, and uh so i think i think that that's where that's where um, it all started and uh, i ended up getting sick uh, so glandular fever that the typical mono symptoms so I had lymph nodes I had one lymph node and it's actually still there it's very weird it kind of hardened but I had a, a lymph node that was literally the size of like a golf ball in the back of my neck all of the lymph nodes in my armpits in my groin area um you know everything was inflamed I was very uh Fatigued and just general malaise. Malaise. Yeah. Um. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm French. You, if you yeah. No. <laughs> malaise, maybe. Malaise. Yeah.
0: Um.
1: Yeah. Um. And um. And it lasted for you know for for several weeks. And I'm like, okay, I think I need I need to go see a doctor. And I was diagnosed with strep throat. Um. So. For some reason, my test came back negative for mono and they gave me antibiotics, which is like a big no-no. When you have a viral infection, the last thing you want to do is give an antibacterial um, you know, medication because bacteria and viruses are not not the same organism. So I ended up, and I think it's it happens quite a bit, so taking this medication, which I wasn't supposed to, I ended up breaking out from top to bottom, from toe to my head. In a massive rash, and I was like so itchy. My face, like I was like all deformed, um, like wow. inflamed with this rash that was just coming through from a reaction to the the antibiotics—not um, antibacterial. I meant antibiotics. Um, so that, like you know, killed me off even more. Um, I it was just a horrible experience. So. Eventually I got the proper diagnosis. Hey, you have mono. Um, and there's not, basically there's nothing you can do about it. There's no medicine, medication that you can take, um, to make it subside. All you can do is rest, rest and nourish yourself. So, you know, a few months, uh, went along and yes, the major symptoms sort of dissipated. So my lymph nodes went down, um, but like things like my brain fog and my fatigue was still there, you know, and I started noticing three, four, five months, you know, it was just sort of lingering. And I know, um, you've probably heard the term long COVID, you know, people talk about long COVID. Well, that's basically what I experienced with the Epstein bar. It's like a long Epstein bar. It's just a, a lingering. Um, so what ended up happening is it really, really damaged My body, and uh, I wasn't able to fully recover. Um, So that went on for years. Um, So I sort of developed this thing called it's just a blanket term, really. Um, I never got a diagnosis, um, but I call it chronic fatigue. It's like an unexplained fatigue that just won't go away. Mm -hmm. So um, everything, like my whole life changed after that because. Um, prior to that, I was an athlete, um, you know, um, doing pretty crazy things. And next thing you know, almost overnight I was, you know, bedridden for months. Like I would sleep 12 hour nights and wake up tired, lethargic, um, feeling like a big, big bag of shit. (laughs) Like It was just like, um, it was, it was a really, really tough uh, time in my life. And, um, of course, um, I've always struggled with depression all my life, anxiety, depression, more depression. Um, so the fact that I was, um, so tired all the time, it like sort of amplified and I became even more, more prone to depression, even more depressed and, you know, even more anxious. And, uh, and, uh, yeah, that's uh that's basically how, how I got sick. <laughs>
0: oh man. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> sounds awful. And um <laughs> yeah, so that was how long ago when when you got sick? That was in
1: That was in t- 2014. 2014. Uh, so so like around April, I would say. April of 2014 is when like I got the initial, you know, initial yeah. infection, but it, it persisted for, for several years after.
0: Yeah. And so you also uh, mentioned when i saw your your post how um you kind of kept going back to doctors and then you started um mm-hmm. trying different approaches yep. to yep. figuring things out
1: absolutely so of course i i tried the conventional route um so go to the doctors my blood work kept coming back normal I'm like i don't know i don't feel no normal um and, uh, they, you know, their solution was to give me an antidepressant. So they assumed that I was just very depressed. Um, so, um, luckily, um, I grew up around, so my mother is like, she's always been, and my dad too, like, um, I grew up on a farm and my parents were always very in tune with nature and, uh, uh my mom, uh, she also had her own health struggles. So I seen her growing up, um, Taking different approaches, um, she was like I recall, I was in grade like grade seven or grade eight, <laughs> so that would have been back in like I don't know ninety nine or two thousand. And she was giving me probiotics, like yeah, you know, people are just starting to talk about probiotics now, yeah. and she was like ahead of the game, you know. So um, I definitely like mom, if you're ever listening to this, like you were a huge part, um, and like because I grew grew up around that. Um, I think it like, it didn't take very long that I realized that, you know what the, you know, conventional medicine, um, there's a time and place for it. Like, you know, you break an arm, you go to the doctor, they'll fix it up. Perfect. But when it comes to chronic illness, they generally don't have a really good um, system or they don't have really good protocols. And they just want to like, sort of put a band aid on it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's almost like gaslighting. It's like, Oh, it's just, you know, you're, just depressed you're just you know so they'll give you it some is. medication and, you okay know it's, 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 it's <laughs> it is it is so um it didn't take very long um until I started getting curious I said you know what let's let's try something different um so um I started exploring the world of like you know natural healing and um discovering all of these different modalities and uh it it sort of opened up the you know. Box of tre- treasures for me. And uh, yeah, I just got curious and I started reading books and listening to podcasts. And I was on YouTube, you know, watching, you know, listening to experts and top doctors talking about, you know, chronic fatigue. I was researching, you know, Epstein Barr virus and all of these things, and eventually got into detoxification. Um, so basically for me, it, it started as, um, so I found this. Um, this ancient healing modality called Ayurveda. I don't know if you've heard of that before. No, that okay, so it's it's an ancient Indian um, um, pr- not practice, I guess a system. Like we have our modern medical, uh, you know, system we call it like the allopathic medicine, um, which is based on you know prescribing medication to patients. Well, Ayurveda is a very ancient healing system. It's based out of India. it's been around for over 5,000 years and uh, they have this thing it's kind of silly but i remember reading up on it and they what they would do is they would do tongue reading so (laughs) depending on the shape and the color of your tongue it indicates certain things um, about you and you know potentially what's wrong in your body so i go in the mirror one day and i'm like i look at my tongue and i'm like oh my goodness (laughs) my colon is toxic My my colon is toxic and I need to do something about it. So, which is interesting. Oh, (laughs) dropped an earbud. I apologize for that. Hopefully I don't disconnect this time.
0: No, I can hear you.
1: Good. I never know how these fit. Okay. So, um, where was I with that? Um, Oh. (laughs) so then so then I you know I do a bit of research on the internet I said you know colon I, I read up on this thing called colon hydrotherapy and I was struggling like one of my symptoms that came along after uh getting mononucleosis was my digestion was just out of whack so before leading up to mono like my health like even though I was a little bit reckless and I wasn't really taking care of myself you know um and I wasn't really into like nutrition and all that much. Um, I was a pre- pretty hardy, but that really um, that really destroyed um, destroyed my health. So uh, where was I going with that? Oh, so it really really wrecked my digestion and I was struggling with constipation. So I uh, read up on this thing called colon hydrotherapy. So that's sort of where it really all started for me. So I, I started seeing a lady. Um, I was driving out an hour, uh, commuting an hour and making appointments with this lady. Um, it was just out of her house. And it's basically colon hydrotherapy. So it's uh, using water to flush out your colon, basically. Mm-hmm. So um, I started doing that with her. And... Um, and uh, she had me doing these specific protocols at home. So I would see her. Um, I, w- I was seeing her twice a week over like a two-month period. Um, so I was getting these cleanses with her um, at really tight intervals, and she was having me do these different protocols at home. And uh, I. Uh, so another symptom that I had post like post-illness is I started gaining weight and my skin, you know, I was getting blemishes on my skin and like eczema rashes, fung- sort of like skin fungal infections, um, which means I probably had a high fungal load, uh, bad bacteria, like uh, in my my digestive tract. Um, so having done the colonics um, with her and doing the home protocols and following her protocols, um, amazing like an amazing transformation happened within like 3 2 or 3 months um my skin cleared up uh i lost all the weight that i had gained um cuz obviously if you're flushing out your colon twice a week it's it's definitely going to help with weight loss um and i instantly felt a boost of energy um so that was like really one of the the one of the milestones that i you know it was like wow i'm, I'm actually seeing some progress here. Like I feel a bit better. Um, so that would be like where it sort of all started. Um, so I did that for a couple months with her, but then I started reading up on other things and I started listening to, you know, different, different types of healing modalities. And uh, I, you know, it's, it's kind of funny, but I ended up doing so many different things over the course of like five or six years. Um, I was just so curious and it actually became a passion of mine, like this whole health and detox thing. Um, I was like fully into it for a few years. Um, I fully immersed myself uh, in that, just loved it. It was like my newfound passion. And when all of that was happening, I wasn't even thinking about dirt bikes in my mind. For some reason, I was like, I'm never going to ride my dirt bike ever again. Like it wasn't even a thought to get on my bike again. I was like into this whole health, kick which is cool which is good I, I it's like I needed I needed to do that I needed to go through that I needed to learn I needed to learn to take care of myself yeah. and I wasn't taking care of myself like pre pre-illness before my illness like I was a bit reckless you know um, I would do like these you know these dirt bike races and these I was like into um you know you've heard of like Tough Mudder yeah. and the Spartan races like I was just abusing my body like quite a bit. And I didn't really know how to replenish myself. Um, mm-hmm. I wasn't educated in that way. And, uh, and I think, you know, having been hard on my body for so many years and with all of the trauma, like I was telling you accumulating and then leaving my ex moving to a different city and getting mono, it was like, that's what broke me. Um, yeah. but I slowly started rebuilding myself, um, by educating myself and getting curious about health and wellness.
0: Oh, I love that. That's so cool. Yeah. And it's cool that you talk about the tongue. What, what did you call that again?
1: So um, tongue, you could, I, if you um, Google, are you And it's, a, it's spelled a little bit weird. Are you um, If you, um, a really good place to start um, is Sahara Rose? Uh, you can find her on YouTube. She's an Ayurvedic practitioner, and she also does that feminine embodiment. She's like a really, really good resource to uh, nice. to check out. And uh, she talks about like Ayurveda is very—it's a very complex system. And like I said, it's—it's it's been around for 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 like over five thousand years. Um, and they do all sorts of different things. Tongue tongue mapping is one one thing they do. And uh that was the first thing I sort of gravitated to. And I remember looking in the mirror and I remember showing my showing Jeremy, look, 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 look at yeah. my tongue, my colon is toxic, you know. Oh, it's just it's kind of cute. You know, it's funny. Um it, but yeah, it was I it, everything everything had to happen that way. It's it yeah. was all part of my my process, my growth.
0: Yeah. Well it's mm-hmm. so like I'm a dental hygienist and I I guess like I grew up similar to you, like my mom was the same way, like we were going to a naturopath since early age. That was our main doctor in a sense. Awesome. And, um, I had so many wonderful things come from that and like learning both the system. Cause now I'm in medical where I have the, yes. I value what the medical yeah. system does, but I Absolutely. see the limitations and then yeah. like, we need to almost like work more on combining the two.
1: Absolutely. And
0: so I, like I'm always looking at people's tongues as a dental hygienist Ah. that's one of the things that I'm always checking we're always checking for oral cancer um candida infections the tongue tells so much about systemic disease and I still feel very limited to what I know through it because even through my practice there's things that present on the tongue like one of them is geographic tongue and they it's an inflammation but a yeah. lot of the times they just go, mm, it's idiopathic. We don't know what it's from. And that's where the story ends. And I'm always like, yeah, oh, no, that's not where the story ends. Like there's something going on and I want to know there more is. about it. So I find that yeah. really cool. So I, I think I'm going to yeah. look more into that because that's yes. really like a part of my entire career is looking at someone's tongue. So
1: yeah, it, it's really based on the column doshas. So you're either, I'll keep it quick and simple, you're either uh, a heir fire or earth there's water in there too and depending like you know the four or five elements yeah. depending if you have too much fire in your body or too much water these uh these and it's going to be indicated uh just you know by looking at your tongue uh they have ways of telling if you're you're too much in your air or you're you, you've got just yeah. too much pitta, called pitta energy yeah. too much fire Um, and, and you can correct your, your imbalances that way. So that's the basics of Ayurveda and, and reading the tongue is one of the ways that they can sort of determine your dosha. That is so cool. It's pretty cool. Oh my gosh. Okay.
0: I'm super excited to look more into that. Awesome. Um, okay. So you're, you're healing yourself, you're getting back to health. So when was it that you decided, um, to get back on the bike? Oh,
1: Okay so I got sick in 2014. So in 2020, so it took about six years. um, There was just something inside me. Okay, so before before I touch on that, so I I went into this whole health, health and wellness kick. But then it turned turned into a spiritual sort of a spiritual awakening. So um, I had sort of not plateaued, I guess you could call it plateaued or bottomed out the whole health and, and 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 wellness scene and I started dabbling into spirituality and um that's what sort of uh that was the catalyst for me really to um uh, there was it ignited something inside me um and it's very difficult I can't even explain it because logically it makes no sense but um I woke up one morning and I'm like I have to get back on my bike it's like I had unfinished business and intuitively I knew that getting back into dirt biking was like my next growth phase. And I was like, you know what, I want to, I want to do this and I want to do it right this time because like I was telling you before, like pre-illness, I was sort of dirt biking and self-sabotaging and sort of in it for the wrong reasons. Um, now I see it. Um and now I'm, I'm coming back into it. And, you know, in 2020, something, something inside me was ignited. And I said, I want to do this again. But this time I'm doing it out of, you know, out of love, <laughs> out of like, you know, self-actualization. Like I'm here, like I want to be the best version of myself. And like dirt biking is, is like, it's presenting all of my insecurities on a silver platter, basically, and I need to like, dive in and like, you know, heal these and dirt biking is, is like an average avenue for me to to do this to heal myself. Um, so I now do things from a totally different place. So yeah, it took about six years of, of healing before, I'd say five years, because there was the first year after my my after the infection I was really I wasn't into like healing or health or anything like that I was just still in that victim mindset and uh, why you know why did I get the virus it's the virus's fault why me you know I had that undertone that was sort of holding me back so there was something at one point that uh, don't, don't I said call okay
0: that the you're still kind of in a denial phase if you look at the stages yeah. of grief it's it's an essentially it's in denial you're like this isn't happening yeah
1: Yeah. 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 And blame. I'm not going to believe it. I'm not
0: going to believe it. It's not happening. It's yeah. Yeah. And I was
1: like blaming something that I had no control over really, you know, and, uh, it was, it was, um, a really powerless state to be in. Um, so it took, uh, it took all of those years to like, sort of get my, you know, take, take my power back. And, uh, and I'm, I'm no longer a victim of this illness. And it's like, Let's, let's do this. And it's, it's going to be hard. There are days where I'm going to be like, why, why am I doing this? Like, this is insane, but I have to, because growth is just on the other side. Mm -hmm. So something shifted in me. And, and it was, um, I, I did a lot of like, you know, spiritual, you know, maturation, I guess you could call it. Um, you know, 2018, 2019. And by the time I got to 2020, I'm like, let's do this. <laughs> I'm yeah. getting
0: back on the bike.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, that's so amazing. Mm. Oh, was, uh, sorry, my zoom's here. Okay. Um, <laughs> so how did it feel the first time you got back on your bike?
1: <sighs> Scary and I felt defeated. <laughs> Oh my goodness! I was um, I I uh, lacked a lot of confidence, but again, there's a reason. I wanted to get back on that bike because I wanted to regain my confidence, and um, I had zero self confidence because I had lost all of my muscle tone uh, from living a very se- sedentary, I think is the word, yeah. lifestyle. Um, from having gone through an illness and healing through that, um, I I was not exercising at all I was in a state called skinny fat I don't know if you've heard of that yeah mm-hmm. I was very slim with zero muscle tone mm-hmm. so I had a lot of work um so I got back on the bike again with the expectations of being like I was pre-illness and uh quickly realizing that oh no I almost have to start from scratch yeah I have you know a fun like some of the fundamentals uh that I can carry over but like picking up my bike you know simple things like picking up my bike and you know riding for more than half like when I first started riding oh I couldn't ride for more than like half an hour or an hour and I had to stick to like easier stuff because as soon as I got into the hard stuff even though I had the skill um I wouldn't last long on my bike so it was very um I went through a period like the first six months were very um difficult when I got back on my bike because I was sort of still attached to like where I was before my illness and um I had to let that let all of that go and like it's almost like I had to start from scratch really
0: yeah yeah I can see that so more of like a mental thing too in that sense where Yeah, you're you're expecting to be where you used to be and then having to get that like oh oh gosh, like I have a lot of work to do.
1: Oh (laughs) yes, I was very discouraged at one point.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, gosh, it's also incredible to see like how our us as humans, like we go through these ebbs and flows and like I think when you go through something like that, that's when you really learn like we're never going to be peak performance. that's right we can't sustain that life but every time you get knocked down you know that there there's an up after that and then like it's going to probably happen again but every time you go through those it gets easier to learn to get up faster it does yeah you've gone through such a huge learning curve and I think these things prepare us for life because it could even get harder as we get older and yeah you know We're so used as athletes, we're so used to being like peak performance sometimes. And then even just something as simple as age eventually is going to take over and we're going to be like, oh my God, I can't do these things anymore. So learning that you're allowed to have downtime, you're allowed to be sick a little bit. You're, you don't have to always be go, go, go. I think it's a good, good learning curve, even at a young age of your life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so cool. Um. So we're almost yeah. we're at a time. It's timing me out again. We're obviously yeah. having a really good conversation. That's good. Um, so I'll just ask a few uh, quick questions before we uh, go. We've got about five minutes. Um. Do you have any plans to complete any specific goals in the near future?
1: Oh, that's a good one. So my ultimate goal well i have a really long-term vision uh which is beyond dirt biking but uh for this for this episode i think we'll stick to the 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 dirt biking goals um so eventually what i want to do is um so i started a youtube channel so i'm learning how to do the whole gopro thing and the video editing and uploading to youtube so eventually i do want to get into uh potentially some tutorials um And specifically for women and maybe specifically for women that are maybe struggling with um, health challenges um, or more timid women, you know, getting into the sport. Um, So I would love to do sort of like a video video series to uh, to to get these, you know, these women started Um, But what I ultimately want to do is um, like coaching, like I want to be able to do, you know, maybe some clinics one day. Uh, But what I feel like is most valuable is like ongoing coaching. Um, Jeremy is my coach and like attending clinics is good. They're fun. You, You do pick up on a few things. But what ends up happening a lot of times is you go back home and you don't necessarily practice those things. you do for a bit and then you sort of fall back to your old habits um what i want to do is something a little bit different is to provide ongoing coaching and potential potentially even online um helping women um you know get started in the sport and build their confidence so more of a coaching uh, coaching approach as as opposed to maybe clinics but i do want to you know i would love to have clinics uh one day uh eventually we're going to be moving back to noelville where i grew up on my parents property and potentially putting a house on the property so we'll have our own place um i'll be able to build a compound and and have people over so i can teach um but also provide like ongoing coaching um that. so that would be like my my big uh, dirt bike go- goals um and I'm also uh really into like video editing I love it it's like a creative outlet for me because I have like I was telling you I've always been very artistic and uh it's sort of filling in that void for me so I would love to 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 get into like more intense video editing and Going to events, traveling to events and capturing the event and and uh, you know, oh. posting that on YouTube. So that's sort of the stuff that I'd love to get into I eventually. Love
0: that. I think you and I have a lot more in common than I thought. Yeah. <laughs> see. Awesome. Um, so then how Girl. can people find you on social media?
1: Okay, you can find me on Instagram. It's my first and last name, Rose Natang, and on YouTube, Rose Natang.
0: Awesome. I love it. Well, Mm -hmm. I'm definitely going to check out your YouTube channel and it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. You're just such a, you're a great speaker. Your story is wonderful. And yeah, I look forward to getting to know you more on social media and hopefully one day in person we can get together.
1: This was so fun. Thank you so much for having
0: me. You're welcome. All right. Take care, Rose.
1: You too. Bye-bye.
0: If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Wide Open Podcast on Spotify and follow at Kayla Louise on Instagram. That's at K-E-L-A Louise and look forward to more episodes.